Hi, and welcome to Transparent with Tina. I'm Tina Marks, your host. Today's guest knew at five years old that he was an entrepreneur. He's going to share his story and how he founded Building Your Network, which is his podcast, and also Gorilla Podcast, which teaches you how to build your podcast from the ground up. He's been featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, as well as Forbes. Up next, Travis Chapel. Welcome, Travis. I am so excited to have you here. Yes, Mantina. Thank you so much for having me. Happy yeah. to be here. You are um, you are a true entrepreneur, and um, you know I was listening to a lot of your uh, story, reading, listening to videos, and everything. So you know, as we do in my show, we always start from the very beginning. And for you, it started at five years old. You knew when you were five years old that you wanted to be an entrepreneur. I mean, that's that's a pretty pretty early start. So why don't, why don't we start there and your story of making money? Cause you started making money at five years old and you like had a, a business idea. So let, let's start off with that. Yeah, sure. And, um, I, I feel like the entrepreneurial age, something I've always had. And the way I kind of define that is basically a desire to make money combined with the inability to listen to authority. <laughs> so I, uh, I think that was just kind of always innate within me. And I, I wasn't like a rebellious kid and getting in a bunch of trouble or anything like that. But if I had genuine questions about like why I was supposed to be doing something and I couldn't get a straight answer on that, that's what frustrated me. Uh, and so I didn't really mesh like a lot of my authority figures just kind of clashed with them um, fairly often when they didn't have a good response to that to that question, you know. So, uh, so yeah, when when I was a, when I was a kid, just you know, wanted I want to, to stop to... you right there because you know what I yeah. think that's very interesting because you know a lot of lot of people, parents, teachers would say you know that's a troublemaker, you know, yeah. and that's not necessarily true. So you know, parents that are out there listening to this and watching this. Um, really, you might want to pause for a moment when your child is behaving like that and, and, and recognize that he's actually, he or she is thinking outside of the box. And yeah. that's actually a good thing, you know, because, um, you know, we're not machines here. We, you sure. know, you encourage people to think outside of the box. Okay. So go ahead. Yeah. And I think it's important too to be, to uh, ask yourself why as well like if you don't have a good answer for your kid when they ask you that maybe just kind of sit there and be like you know what well you know why is it a bad idea for them to do this is this just because my parents told me this was bad and this is kind of what i think is bad and it's not even something that i ever came to the conclusion of you know what i mean i think a lot of parents just get really defensive when their kid asks why so they just say oh because i said so you know what i mean and just like okay well that's, that's what i heard not really a great answer <laughs> you know what i mean that doesn't help them that doesn't help them uh cultivate curiosity or cultivate uh reason or, th or, or thinking or critical thinking for themselves that just says like, okay, well, I guess I'll do whatever people tell me to do. And that's how they go throughout the rest of their life. Well, so, and you yeah. know, that word curiosity, I've brought that up several times because you know what I heard along the way that, you know, when somebody is trying to find out their purpose and their passion and, and, you know, cause I'm, I'm a coach. Okay. So I, some people will say to me, well, you know, I don't know what my pur purpose or passion is. My question is to them, what are you curious about? Right. Mm -hmm that leads you in the right direction of what maybe what your passion and your purpose is going to be, right? If you're not curious, you've kind of stepped outside of the game, right? Mm, you're not in the yeah. game until you're curious. Yeah, I agree. And curiosity is really what uh, I think as a kind of a hallmark of entrepreneurship, to be honest, it just helps you continue to cultivate and ask questions where people might not be asking questions, which allows you to fill needs that aren't currently being filled with 
which is kind of what entrepreneurship is all about. So, um, yeah, I just kind of had that from, from when I was a kid. And, um, I remember my sister had these, this, uh, easy bake oven, which I'm sure you are familiar with. Yeah. And at the time she was like 18 months older than I was. So I always wanted to do everything that my sister did, but, uh, my parents ended up going and getting me like the the little boy version of an easy bake oven, which was basically like this little oven that you could, uh, you get these little metal molds and you pour this liquid in them and then you put them in the oven, you get them out and it, there's like they're insect molds. So you like pull it out and you have a little rubber insect that you can make different colors or whatever. And so I'd take those to school and uh, sell them to the other kids in line at, at like uh, when we were getting ready to be picked up and stuff. So that was kind of my first How old entrepreneurial. Were you um, I was probably second or third grade or something like that. Uh, maybe third or fourth grade. It was somewhere in there, you know, between seven and 10 ish, somewhere right. like that. Um, and, uh, and, and so that was kind of, you know, th- when I look back, it seems so obvious that that was just something that was kind of innate. Cause that wasn't really anything that my parents told me to do or encouraged yeah. me to do mm-hmm. or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but I will say when I did show those things, they, they kind of helped kind of cultivate, give me opportunity to continue working. So when I was growing up, it was just like, whenever, uh, whenever I wanted to buy something, my parents wouldn't just go buy it for me. They would say, well, you know, there's two acres full of weeds out there, go start weeding the yard or, you know, do something to earn the money, go out and work in the yard or mow the lawn or do something. Right. So, uh, this kind of helped cultivate that as I'd make five bucks an hour, six bucks an hour or whatever it was. And I would just go out there and, you know, sometimes when I was a teenager, me and my friends would be out there for, you know, seven, eight, nine hours on a Saturday, just like working and hula hoeing weeds and raking them and burning them and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, I really, really kind of cultivated that. But at the same time, I grew up in a really strictly religious kind of a bubble community of sorts when I, when I was uh, growing up, like literally from the time that I was kindergarten all the way through my senior year of college, it was all done on the same campus. So I walked like where I got my diploma from college was the same exact campus. I got my diploma from, from kindergarten. And uh, so it was kind of an interesting, unique way to grow up in terms of the perspective on money, because it was very highly, obviously discouraged to chase money in that type of a, of a culture or setting. And, you know, that's uh, uh, the, the bad thing. You don't want to chase money. You're just, you know, go into ministry and stuff. And so I actually went to college for going into the ministry. So uh, the unique thing is I, had some entrepreneurial tendencies, but I always muted them and kind of suppressed them because I knew that I was going to be in ministry when I grew up. And uh, obviously eventually ended up not doing that and and going ahead and moving into my, you know, more natural wanting to be entrepreneurship, uh, wanting to be an entrepreneurship. So, uh, but yeah, so that that's kind of a, a brief overview. You also mentioned though, when you made the money, your parents also had you put part of it in a saving and then part yeah. of it in a giving. Now, was the giving part tithing to the church? church. Yep. yep okay. exactly. So I think so, that that's really important because you can make yeah. a lot of money, but unless you learn how to save and, you know, I completely believe in tithing, whether it's a charity, anything that you really believe in, it's all about giving, giving back. back. Sure. Yeah. You know, and if you don't learn that early on, I mean, you, it's very easy to go off into the ditch. So I it, think that that was yeah. magnificent that your, your parents taught you that, you know, and um, also, you know, the, the, um, whole part about, uh, the religious. And do you think that that helped guide you being from a religious background? Um, you know, I think that it has, I think it's like every childhood. I think that it had its pros and I think that it had its cons. 
Um, cons being that my mindset around money and, and entrepreneurship and chasing my dreams was really completely skewed and messed up. And I had to work through that a lot and still am working through that in some senses. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but pros would be stuff like, um, like I started, I started doing public speaking when I was 12 because I thought that I was going to be a, a, a preacher when I grew up. I thought I was going to be a youth pastor or a pastor or evangelist or something like that. So in 12, when I was 12 in the summer, I went to preaching camp for the first time, which is basically like a college level homiletics course that they do in a week. And you go to class all day in the middle of the summer to learn how to preach and you stand up at the end of it and you give your sermon. And so first time I really stood up and started speaking in front of people, I was 12. And I kept doing that throughout junior high, kept doing that all throughout high school, because again, I thought I was going to be in front of people all the time. And so in college, I kept doing that, you know, took all the homiletics classes, the sermon preparation classes, it taught me a lot about how to um, build a speech. And, and, and we didn't call it a speech, called it a sermon, but uh, still a lot of the same fundamentals, same, same principles. And I got a lot of time, like when I was 15, I spoke to our church, and we had a really large church. When I was 15, I spoke on a Wednesday night service. It wasn't like Sunday morning crowd, but uh, there's still 1,500, 2,000 people or so in there when I was 15, spoke in front of them. And so there's a lot of pros in that sense. I learned yeah. you know, a lot of communication abilities. I grew up pretty fast. Like I, I didn't, when I, when I graduated college, I was, tw- I got engaged at 20, graduated college at 21, got married at 21, bought my first house at 21. And so I had all the responsibilities of, of being a husband when I was 21 and had bills to pay and a real mortgage and insurance and all those things that uh, were my responsibility. So I think that was another kind of a pro, but a little bit also a little bit of a con, you know what I mean? I didn't get yeah. to do a lot of those, the same stuff, a lot of early 20, 20 somethings, uh, get to do and, and, um, and experience. But, uh, but I, I think it also kind of put me on a, on a different, uh, kind of like a, uh, it, it's kind of like the moving sidewalk at the airport, right? It's just mm-hmm. like, you're just on a little bit of a faster path because you had to grow up faster than, than other people. Exactly. Than other people did. So, and, and that's a huge that advantage that you learn to do public speaking and public speaking sure, is one yeah. of the greatest fears everybody has. So right. you to be speaking in front of 1500 people at 15 years old. I mean, talk yeah. about facing your fears because I mean, that's how yeah. we get ahead is by, so whether you, you were kind of forced to face your fears, right? So by the time sure. you're in your twenties, I mean, it's a whole nother set of fears being married, you know, and moving into that, but your life certainly set you up for that. And I do believe that the universe, God, whatever you want to call it does bring you exactly what you need at the right mm. time to move forward. It's up yeah, to us sure. to recognize that we can either embrace it and, and face the fear and move forward, or we can, you know, shy away from it, which, you know, it only gets presented over and over again. So, so here you are, you, you're engaged, you're married, you're only in your twenties. What now? What business did you start? Yeah. So I, uh, coming out of college, basically realized I I graduated, I got my degree, I double majored in Bible and church ministries. And then after I graduated, basically just realized I don't want to be doing this. And the only things that I had were my degree, which was pretty much useless. It's, it's already fairly useless to have a purely ministerial degree like that Bible or church ministries. Uh, but then you combine that with the fact that the college I went to was unaccredited. It was even more useless than a regular degree would have been. And, uh, so I didn't really have anything to fall back on in that sense. Uh, 
And during college, I the job that I was working was door-to-door sales. And I had done pretty well with that. And so that was kind of what I did outside of, out right out of college because I just didn't, you know, that was my only skill set. I knew that if I went and got like a just a regular job, not based on a degree and not based on a sales thing, I would be making like 35 grand a year. Whereas in door-to-door, I pulled a hundred K the first year that I did it full time, uh, just knocking on doors and working 20 hours a week. So I knew that it wasn't like if I tried to go a different career path, I would have had to, you know, make $45,000 or $36,000 or something. And so I was like, well, the sales thing seems to be pretty lucrative. Let's try this for a while. Um, and then after doing it for a year, year and a half of like full time, I was just like, you know what? I, I don't think this is the path either. I, I'm having a good time. The people I was working with were really cool. We had a lot of fun. I, it was kind of like my quote unquote college years, you know, except for that I wasn't getting in debt. I was actually making a pretty Money. good living and making six figures at 22 or whatever. But the on the weekends, we would hang out, we'd party, we would, you know, go hang out at um, different people's houses or go on trips, like weekend trips. Like it was just a lot of fun. And it almost was like a year that was necessary for me. I let everything go. Like I was, I always played basketball my whole life. I played uh, basketball in college and uh, I was always super disciplined in terms of like my exercise and, and, uh, and playing sports. And so that year I didn't do much of that. I, I got extra, I got actually gained like 50 pounds. I was, I was just doing whatever. I wanted, but it was do it was doing whatever I wanted for the first time ever in my life. And yeah. as I look back, I, I think I think it was honestly it was necessary for me, yeah. and it taught me a lot, uh, a lot of different things, and um, and I was able to learn a lot of different lessons that year. So, but by the end of the year, I started realizing like, okay, I need to get my health back in check. Um, I need to. Um, really think about is if, if this is the career path I want to be on. And it just wasn't. When I fast forward and looked at like 32-year-old Travis, I knew that I didn't want to be doing the same thing as 22-year-old Travis was doing. And I was like, well, if I'm, if I'm going to change at 32, then I'm going to have to change right now so that my trajectory puts me on a path to where I actually want to be when I'm 32. So I don't just wake up accidentally and be like, oh, I'm 32 and I'm still doing this door-to-door thing. You know, so, um, where uh, did you, did, was that instilled in you, Travis, or was that innate that looking forward? Because I know that up until the last five years, I never did that. I never said, well, yeah, where do yeah. I want to be in three years or where do I want to be in five years? I mean, I really was being led by my circumstances. I was not living an intentional life. I was more hoping and praying instead of putting the plan in place. And I think, yeah. and I've shared this before. I think a lot of the reason that I did that was because if I couldn't figure out from A to Z where I wanted to be in one sitting, if I couldn't figure out exactly, then I would just trash the idea. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I, I don't, I, I don't know hundred percent if that was innate or it's something trained in me through like, and I, the, the unique thing about growing up in a school that like I did, you know, it was pretty small. My graduating class was 38 people and we were the largest, I think still to this day, the largest class to ever graduate from that school. Wow. Um, and, uh, and like I said, it was 38 people. So we, we, I, I kind of did everything. I, I played sports. I was, you know, captain of football and basketball and, um, I was on Bible quiz team and I played in chess tournaments and I sang in large and small ensembles and did all like we played the guitar and pra- like there's just so many things that I did and there's I think it taught me a lot about that if you don't show um immediate expertise in something that's okay it just means that you have to work harder at it and envision a future version of yourself where you're having fun doing that thing and you're actually really good at it and i think that maybe played into uh that uh that like looking into the future and and deciding what i wanted um i, I think that's probably probably part of it as well but uh, and how I did you learn a- that i mean just just what you said did was that learned was that passed down from your parents was it something that you you saw read about witnessing somebody else do you remember 
Yeah, I, I don't. I don't remember. I, I feel like I always just kind of, I, I always wanted to be the best at whatever I did. I was extremely competitive. And mm-hmm. uh, I know that that's something that's definitely yeah. natural, but also my family was always pretty competitive growing up whenever, just like dumb things, okay. right? Like playing board games or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're all pretty competitive and stuff. And so I think that was just cultivated more and more when I started playing sports a lot, um, which, uh, which probably spilled over into all those other areas of my life. It's like, if I'm going to do something, I want to be really good at it. I don't want to just like do something and be just mediocre. Like it just wasn't interesting to me. Right. Uh, so, and you yeah, were so, willing to put in the time and dedication, whereas a lot of people don't. Yeah, sure. If you're not yeah, good at it right off the bat, you right. know, they kind of trash it. And then you spend your whole life just trying one thing after another and not getting good at anything. You're like mediocre at a lot of different things, right? Right. So it's really is- important to get good at one thing. Yeah, which is why, uh, which might be a reason why I started looking into the future and stuff because, uh, because in order to decide if you want to work hard at something, you have to decide how bad you want that thing because everything's difficult. If you want to get good at anything, it's going to be difficult. So you have to be able to look into the future and say, does this matter to me? Like, do, do I care about being good at this? Do I care about having success in this area? And if the answer is no, then you probably don't want to waste a lot of your time getting really good at it. If the answer is yes, then there's not much I'm not willing to do to get to that point. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. So you um, host two, two different podcasts. One is yes. called um, Building Your Network. Okay. Mm -hmm. Which I want to, I want to actually talk about that one first. So let's talk about that. For sure. Yeah. The idea. So this was, uh, after the year I decided I didn't want to do door to door anymore. Uh, for the first time in my life, I'd ever, ever dove into personal development. I was never that kind of a guy in terms of like reading and audiobooks and listening. I, I was just, I did not enjoy those types of things. Uh, and so the first time in my life, I dove into personal development, came across podcasts, started becoming a big consumer of podcasts because I enjoyed the audio medium better than, than reading. And, uh, mm-hmm. after a while, I was just like, you know what? I, I think I could do one of these things. I think that would be fun. You know, I think that I'm decent at communicating. I think that, uh, I think that I would learn a lot. I think that this would be a really cool way to make a living. It checked all my boxes, right? It gave me time freedom, gave me financial freedom. It gave me location freedom, independence, all the things that I really wanted. And uh, and then also helped me to build a network because at the time I was pretty much starting from scratch, having grown up the way that I grew up when I left that idea of going into ministry. I, you know, a lot, Not that people were rooting against me. Some definitely were, but I think the majority of them were just very neutral. Just like, okay, well, you're not doing the thing that we trained you to be doing. So now just kind of like, good luck. We don't really care type of thing. So and, and much- when was this? When did you, uh, is this when podcasts were, I mean, I'm trying to- 20, think, like, This was 20, uh, 2016. 2016. And when did- I mean, they've been around a while, but yeah. how, how long has it been? Like, when would you say they really caught on? Like, everybody's like now listening to podcasts. Yeah, I would say, uh, I would say probably a year or two before that is when they start started okay. getting a lot bigger. So, like, uh, in 2011, 2012, I want to say there was two to 3,000 podcasts that existed. Okay. And then by the time I started mine in 2017, it was like a half a million podcasts that existed. Ooh. And now there's over a million. Uh, but uh, so there, I think there's a big explosion from to go from three or 4,000 up to a half a million in that, you know, three, four year time period right there between 2012, 2016, 2011, 2015, somewhere in there uh, is, is from the data that I know. I think that would be about that time. Right. Uh, so, uh, but, but also, you know, uh, the sooner you can do it, the better, you know, because it's getting more and more saturated every day. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I, at that point was just like, I think this would be a pretty cool path. I, I, I need to grow my network. I don't know anybody, like I didn't know anybody that had made a million dollars, let alone, 
have a relationship with them. I never met somebody that was a millionaire, you know what I mean? Like, let alone be able to call them up and ask them a question. And I knew if that was the path that I wanted to go down, I wanted to get to know people who'd been down that path so they could, you know, so I could like learn from them and, and get to know like their, their mindset and how everything, how they operated and stuff. So the networking thing just kind of came out of, I would like to say it was a lot more strategic than, than it, than it was. Um, it was basically just like, what am I going to talk about? The first thing I thought of was sales. Cause that was all the, the only thing I had experienced in was order of sales. And I was pretty good at it. So I was like, okay, well I'll do the sales thing, but I go and search it in iTunes and find 3000 podcasts on just how to sell and stuff. And I was like, well, you know, I, and not to say, by the way, like if something's saturated, it doesn't mean that you can't be successful in it. It just means it's going to be more difficult to be successful in it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I knew at the time I was like, look, I'm a 24 year old guy that it's like, I have like a couple years in this experience in this thing. I think I'm pretty good at it, but there's so many more people that are way more qualified to do this. And also all these other limiting beliefs came into my mind, but it com- coupled with the fact that it was really saturated. And I was like, okay, but why am I pretty good at this? Why, why, why do I think that I've had success in, in something like a 100% commission door-to-door sales? Most people try it and then a month later they quit. Right. So why, why did I see success where other people might not have? And the answer to me was always like, I surrounded myself with the people who were better than I was and I got around them as much as I possibly could and, uh, and learned as much as I could from them. So the second answer was like, okay, networking, let's do this thing. And I was like, but there's gotta be an equal amount of saturation. And when I went and searched the term, it just was that nobody was talking about it. It was like, a, it was, it was a super blue ocean that I was like, okay, well, I think this could be the thing that I just jump in and start talking about. Uh, and then, uh, and then, like I said, it just kind of became this, um, this feedback loop where it was just like, I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting guests and I'm asking them how to network better and build relationships better. And then I'm using a lot of those things to go get better guests. And then the better guests that I talk to, they're giving me better tips. And I use those tips to go get better guests. And then I like, it just kind of became this thing that kind of started snowballing on itself and, uh, uh, built up the build your network brand, uh, the way, the way that it is today. Right. Okay. Can you give us a couple tips that you've learned in in networking, like just for our viewers to like kind of get started? Yeah, hundred percent. The first thing I would say, one of the biggest lessons I learned uh, came from this book from Adam Grant called Give and Take. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically in the book, he goes over three different types of uh, reciprocity styles. And uh, you have givers, you have matchers, and you have takers. Givers, fairly obvious. You're a person that gives without expecting anything in return. Takers, you constantly take, you're not willing to give, you're very protective, you're, you know, somewhat selfish. And then matchers are people who are willing to give, but only if they have something of, you know, a similar value that comes back to them. And I, I, up to that point, I was kind of naturally a matcher. I was more of a transactional, like, let's do business. Let's like, let's make a deal. You know, that's just kind of my, nat- my was my natural tendency. And then um, uh, I started realizing that that was just a way like that was not the way to get the job done. Because if you're a matcher, you're always going to have unrealistic expectations that you're casting on other people. And uh, you're just going to end up with more burned relationships than you are good relationships. And uh, and then through that, the, the studying that they did with Give and Take. And Adam Grant is, uh, I think, seven years in a row now, the Wharton School of Professor, top rated professor or something like that. Um, he's written four bestseller. Like he, he, when he writes a book, it's not just like, here's my ideas. It's like well thought out, thought well out. researched, Study, documented. Yeah you know, 40 pages of index notes at the end of it type of a thing. So um, they did a really interesting study that basically looked at the success ladder of life and and, uh, where givers, takers, and matchers end up on that success ladder. And so um, when, when you think about it, the first thought that I had was like, okay, takers probably at the top because they're just taking, taking, taking. They're just like, you know what I mean? Like they'll do whatever it takes type of a thing. 
And then, um, and so when I started figuring out, yeah, and that tells you I how think they'd be on the I, bottom. But yeah, when I started when I started going through it, I was like, okay, it's this. I'm the way that I the way that I'm looking at this is completely you know wrong. And so when I looked at it, givers were at the top, but givers were also at the bottom. So there were givers at the very bottom of the success ladder. There's givers at the top of the success ladder, and then matchers and takers kind of filled out the middle area there. Okay. And so the book is basically a discovery of like why why are givers at the top. Uh, and then it gives like real examples of takers and matchers and, and givers and different reciprocity styles in life. And then, and then towards the end of it kind of goes into like how to make sure you're a giver at the top and not, not, make and sure not the not one at the, at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So very, very interesting book. And it totally flipped my mindset. And then I read this other book from Gary V at the time called Ask Gary V. And one of the things he talks about in there is how in every single one of his relationships, he tries to always offer an over exaggerated amount of value in the relationship. He always tries to bring at least 51% of the value to every relationship that he has. And if you look at the majority of people he has relationships with, even coming down to all the people who follow his stuff, but have never met him. It's a disproportionate amount of value that he offers to the lives of other people. And um, I started realizing that this wasn't just something that uh, was a better way to live life in terms of just being more generous and kind and caring to people. Like that's just a better way to go about living life to begin with. But it also actually ended up helping you get to where you wanted to be. For business, and, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, so so I really I really started uh, looking at it differently. And so that, all that to say that my very first thing uh, that I would say to people in terms of how to build better relationships is become a giver and uh, mm-hmm. learn how to add value to the people that you can, like to the people that you're meeting in, in, in any way that you, that you can. Yeah, uh, being of service. And, 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 you know, you had said earlier on about not chasing money. And I had Jeff Fenster on here a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about that too. I mean, just, just in a law of physics, okay. Whenever you chase something, okay. You go forward, that person or that thing is going to go back, you know? So, yeah. um, yeah. So when you give, uh, it's, it's just based on one of the, the universal laws, which I completely agree upon. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, instead of thinking what you can get out of the situation, how more can I serve? And like you said, bring more value. So, yeah. And it's, it's just the, like, if, if that, if you make that your goal, then just like Zig Ziglar said, if you help enough people get what they want, you can have everything in life that you want. And it's you, just so want. true, but only if you're actually focused on helping people and not focused on helping people for the sake of getting things. Of getting it, and right. That's when you move into that match of reciprocity style where uh, people are going to get burned out doing business with you. Like in there and, uh, and, and you're just going to be upset a lot. You know what I mean? Like when you do something for somebody and you have this nonverbal agreement that you think took place in your mind but was never agreed to and that person doesn't return the favor within a reasonable period of time in your mind now all of a sudden you start holding grudges you start resenting people you start Mm -hmm. talking crap on people behind their back you start spreading rumors like it just is an insidious disease that starts to spread into every area of your life and make you really skeptical of helping people and making sure that like you like if you help this person you're going to get some and by the way that doesn't mean that you just like and that's one of the differences between a giver that ends up at the top and a giver. I was just going to say that that's the difference because when you're giving to get, that's the one that's at the bottom when you're giving just to be at service and to add value, you know, from, you know, coming from a very pure, authentic, genuine place, that's, you you get what you, what you put out. So if you're coming from authenticity and genuine and being, you know, um, gracious and that's exactly what you're going to get back. But like you said, you're keeping score in your head otherwise. Right. The resentment and the expectations and all that. And if they fall short, yeah. 
Yeah. You have those nonverbal agreements with people where like, they didn't sign anything. You didn't sign anything, but you're just assuming that they're going to do something for you because you did something for them. And like that, like to me, whenever anybody reaches out to me and says something where it's like, they're, they're already implying that they're going to want something from me. I don't take the favor. Like, I don't want your favor if it comes with an attachment or a clause at the bottom that says like, Oh, but if I do this for you, you're going to have to do something for me. Like, I don't, don't keep it keep it. I don't, I don't want it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's not, that's not how it works. Like that takes the altruism out of the favor, which turns yeah. it into not being a favor. Like, yeah. You just don't engage with people like that. You don't. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because now you're well, so, part of that. Energy. And so one of those, yeah. And so one of those, one, one of those other things that makes one of the givers at the top is that, is that it encourages givers to examine different relationships in their life and try to th- and try to think through um, after a while if that person is a taker and not letting and not allowing that taker to take advantage of them uh, to a certain extent. So um, he actually recommends like switching reciprocity style with takers to being more of a matcher in those situations where if somebody's just reaching out, reaching out, reaching out, you're taking a bunch of time and helping them, and then nothing ever happens with it, and they're always just like take, 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 take. He just says like, okay, well, you have to be willing at those times just to be like, no, you got to learn how to say no to some people and just say, no, I can't do that anymore. Or like, I, that's not, this isn't working out. Or you, you have to be one to draw the line somewhere is basically what he's saying, or else you, you're going to be one of those givers just gets walked on all the time. Absolutely. People just take advantage of you. And at the end of the day, that's their responsibility. You have to understand that that's their personal responsibility, not your personal responsibility to help them. Um, and, uh, and again, and this is after a pattern of taking, right? This isn't on an initial contact or whatever. This is after a pattern of taking has definitely shown itself to you. You got to switch to more more of a matching reciprocity style with some of those people. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because it can be a disadvantage of you to be a, a taker without having boundaries. And if yep. you have the boundaries, then it's a very healthy place to be. Otherwise, it's yep. just as unhealthy as being just a taker as well. Sure. So yeah. I, I, again, everything is balanced. So you know, you know, have you know, I, I had gone to a therapist in my 20s, and she had said to me because. I've always been a giver and I did get taken advantage of. And she goes, Tina, you know, nobody is watching your tower, you know, like in a watchtower. Mm, yeah. She goes, you need to like have somebody up there watching your tower yep. all the time. So that was got to use, got to use that. Got to use that. No word every once in a while. You exactly. Know, you gotta, you gotta, you exactly. Just, Cause you're not a better no. person if you're constantly saying yes, because if you're saying yes and you're building resentment, you know, then what's going to happen. You're going to end up being like passive aggressive or just right, aggressive exactly. and- holding resentment. Yeah. Exactly. And that's and where then, all that comes from. Exactly. And the interesting thing about saying yes is that every time you say yes, you're saying no to something else already. Like you can't get away from saying no, but if you're saying yes to the wrong things, then you're probably saying no to the wrong things as well. You're saying yes to all these other people's agendas. You're saying no to your personal responsibility for being a better father or, exactly. or, or you know, business partner, or you're, you're neglecting these other responsibilities that are actually your personal responsibility because you can't, you can't be okay with telling somebody no. And so you gotta, you gotta be willing to, to start drawing. And, and where does that come from? That usually comes from being a people pleaser. And why are we yeah. people pleasers? Because we're not okay with ourselves because yeah. we need that validation. So I mean that everybody, I think everybody has gone through that. I mean, including myself, but I, I am there now I say no. And it's like, you know, I was just sharing this the other day. It's like, we've been taught to believe that if we put ourselves first and we think of ourselves first, we're selfish. That is so, that couldn't be further from the, the truth. I mean, you need to put yourself first. Otherwise you have nothing else to give and share and add value to other people's lives, whether it's being a mother or it's being a sister or a partner, business Mm. partner, whatever it is, you put yourself first. That's not being selfish. That's actually the best thing that you can do. 
for every for yourself and everybody else around you. Okay. So that let's talk now about world class, your world class podcast. Tell us what that's about. Yeah. So world class, actually, we had to put on a uh, furlough recently. Uh, COVID kind of uh, messed up our plan. So we launched at the beginning of this year, like literally two weeks before COVID hit and quarantine happened. The goal with the show was to to interview world-class performers, like not basically not just in the entrepreneurship space. Build Your Network is very much, it's a top 25 business entrepreneurship podcast. It's been in the entrepreneurship top charts for over a year in Apple. It's very much geared toward yeah. entrepreneurs. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, but world-class was meant to just be like general help for people that are interested in education. We were going to be talking to a lot of people that were even outside of the business world. Uh, but uh, the idea behind it was to do all of those in person and uh, to do it along in a, in a YouTube channel and stuff like that. So inst- we, we decided, we were like, okay, we could do this on Zoom, but at the end of the day, we started it to do it in person. So we were just like, you know what, to stay you know, true to, true to the what? reason that we started it, we, we decided, you know, like uh, probably like four or five months after we launched, you know, a couple months ago, we were like, all right, well, it's about that time. We got to, we got to just say, uh, say no for now. Again, say yeah. no for Some now. Some things just um, don't translate and, the way you want it to on Zoom. Yeah, it's right, got to be done right. in person. So, okay. 100%. So w- let's talk about um, Gorilla, your Gorilla podcast, because, you know, we're yeah. talking about how to build a podcast. Now you, you're telling us that I did not realize that a million, uh, you know, and here's funny. Here's something funny. It's not funny at actually at all. But when I heard that, I'm like, I, parting my, my first thought was, I wish I didn't hear that. (laughs) That There's a thousand (laughs) podcasts out there, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, because I mean, it it does, you're like, oh gosh, I'm not even going to start that because how am I going to compete? But the one thing that you said earlier, and I know to be totally true is that, you know, everybody Nobody has reinvented the wheel. Everybody has said it before, but not everybody is you. And that's the difference. Everybody's written a book on the same subject. Everybody's doing a podcast, but there's only one you out there. And you know what? So you could be doing a podcast on the same thing I'm doing, Travis, but you know what? My tongue is different than yours. My animation, everything about me is different than you. And that's why we're going to attract different listeners. Okay. So tell us about Gorilla Podcast because you actually help somebody build their podcast from from ground up, correct? Yeah, so we help entrepreneurs based uh, entrepreneurs specifically uh, build a podcast that can profit in the future. So we take on all the production work. We help with some coaching and some advice on where to where to set your show up, what direction to set set your show up. But then we also take on the bulk of the heavy lifting and the work. So if you're a busy entrepreneur, you're already running seven, eight, nine figure business. You don't have time to like worry about what a media host is or how to get your show on the iTunes or Spotify. So we just kind of take on the bulk of the editing, the production, the show notes, the uh, 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 intros, the outros, the scripting, the music, like all of the production back Lots end of, goes of starting into a podcast. It. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You don't think about it until you actually get into it, but yeah, we, we take on all of that and we go through and help people launch uh, effective and successful shows. Travis, do you also help them get the guests on the shows? So that is not something that we do with uh, Gorilla Podcast, but this new software that we that uh, we just launched is called Guestio. Um, so guestio.com. And it is essentially a marketplace where creators can go to find guests for their shows. Um, and so if you're, if you're listening to this past November 1st, it will have already been launched and you can go check out a ton of, uh, you can go look at a marketplace of a bunch of guests that you can book on your show. If, if, if the high level ones will be a little bit pricier, but uh, you can 
have direct access to them, not have to wait months to hear back or go through layers of gatekeepers. Um, so it makes it a little bit easier to, to for the guesting process. And we built some cool features in there, like a downloadable media press kit, so you don't have to worry about exchanging emails back and forth for you know bio links and all that kind of stuff. It's all taken care of within the back end of the Guestio site, and it's all 100% free as well. Wow. Did you say that you create the media media kit? Yep. So yeah. So when you go in there and, and input your information, when you set up your account, yeah. uh, there will, it will turn it into a downloadable press kit oh, nice. so that anybody that interviews you, they can just download that press kit. So you don't have to, like, it's like, you don't have to worry about like, okay, well, here's my headshots and here's my bio and here's my press links and here's all the stuff. And there's 12 different emails back and forth. And you're not sure right. if you did it in Facebook messenger, or if you did it on text, or if you did it on email, like we have in-app messaging, we have in-app scheduling, we have in-app downloadable press kits, and you can discover and book the guests all within the site for free. Okay. For free. Yeah. Because you had mentioned paying have guests on too, right? So you can pay, you pay the guests directly. So Guestio basically is the marketplace. The guest can jump in and set their own price for an interview. Um, just which so you know, the just so our, our, our listeners know, uh, it's, it's not everybody charges to be on a podcast. Yeah. There's a lot yeah, of you, people you, that do not charge correct. to be on a podcast. So yeah, just you don't do not think have that you to, have to right. be paying your guests. Right. It's just that the only thing there, there were a couple ones that already existed, but the thing that I, that I looked at that was clearly a, a hole in the space is that the highest level people weren't using those sites because they don't need more bookings. They're yeah. already way overbooked. So yeah. the only way to get them on these sites is to guarantee that it's worth their time. The only way to guarantee that it's worth their time is to pay them. To pay them. Uh, exactly. So, yeah. So yeah. We, and we then, you know, of course, when you pay these life. people, if they're that much in demand, you're also going to get a lot of views, which is the whole right. or, or, or yeah. listeners either way. And credibility into your show for sure. No, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we all know that being an entrepreneur is a very lonely business. Okay. And until you build your team out and actually have some synchronicity going on, um, you know, do you have any tips for uh, our entrepreneurs listening of how to stay on track? So they don't, you know, say, you know, this is just too much for me. I, I'm just going to go get a regular job. You know, I really yeah. want to do this, but I just, it's hard. It's, it, you know, you got to push yourself. So do you have any tips and takeaways for them? Yeah, I, I, lo- I love that question. Uh, this is a fantastic place to wrap up the episode because I, this is something that I think that trips up a lot of entrepreneurs, especially... Mm-hmm. Um, especially nowadays, because there's so much information that we get in. Um, and there's so many, it's so easy to get pulled in a dozen different directions. But the way that the way that I would explain it is that if you're an entrepreneur, you have to get extremely clear on the one thing that you do. People are too all over the place. They're too like if you're a solopreneur, especially like you said, if you, if you haven't built the teams, you haven't built the mm-hmm. systems, you haven't done any of those things yet. If you're a solopreneur, you have to focus on what is the one thing that I do. Who is the one person that I serve? Like narrow it down to the one, the one thing that's going to help move the needle in your business, and that's what you have to do. You have to stay super focused on what. Like don't build out new products or offer stacks or services. You focus on one thing. You do that one thing extremely well, and you do that one thing for one person. Not just I'm not saying just like one person. I'm saying one type of person, your audience, yeah. know your audience, right? Like right? One, yeah, correct. Know the, like, who is the person that you help? What, how do you help them? And why are you different than everybody else who tries to help that person with that problem? If you can just, if you can define those three things, then uh, you'll probably be ahead of a lot of the other small businesses out there because people just don't take the, take the time to do it. There's like, Oh, I'm going to start this business. And then, you know, we got to have these products and that service and all everything over here. And it's like, well, you never even got clear on the person that you're serving. The one main problem that you saw 
for that person? And what differentiates you? Why are they going to pick you? So if you figure out those things, um, I, I think that you'll be well on your way to beginning to take on some of those uh, sales and get some revenue coming into your business, which will then allow you to be able to create systems and hire some more people so that you as the, as the founder can go out and get more of those people to come into the business. Um, but yeah, I think that too, too many people are just, they're all over the place. Like, oh yeah, we'll do that. And we'll do There's that. A lot too. of shiny we'll objects out there. There really right. is, you know, and yeah, you and start out, right. You, right. You start a marketing service and you're like, oh, we do Facebook ads and we do uh, digital marketing and we do, uh, we do funnels and we do copy and we do like, you yeah. know, yeah. I mean, you I'm sure you get hit up all the time on LinkedIn. I mean, I must get 12 a day. Yeah. You know, oh, this sounds good. Oh, that sounds good. And then all of a sudden you go through all your money. (laughs) And that's a fantastic way to get me to not buy your stuff. If you tell me that you do everything, then you probably do none of it really well. So, uh, so if you're telling me that, oh, we do email marketing and lead generation and we do Facebook ads and we do Google ads and we do copywriting and we do funnel building and we do website development, like I'm like, okay, well, I'm not using you for any of that stuff because odds are you're probably just kind of decent at all of it. And I want specialists. I want people who are really good at that thing because when I'm looking for that one thing specifically, I want them to be good. Um, So get the one thing, what's the one problem that you solve for the one type of person and get really good at that one thing. And, um, and then, uh, and you'll, you'll be able to start, start growing that business. Awesome. Awesome. And do you, one last question, do you provide that on Gorilla? Do you help them find like narrow it down? You do. Yeah. One thing that we do in our coaching is, uh, is like, that's our coaching is different because we're not just telling you how to set up your microphone. We're trying to help you get set up with like the online business that you're creating or this new, or if you're a brick and mortar, like we, we work with a lot of entrepreneurs who have seven figure businesses, but are trying to translate online, Mm -hmm. um, which happened a lot during COVID. And so, uh, our, my in-house coaching team will help you basically basically sit down, look at the revenue that you have and figure out a plan to be able to take that and turn it into uh, online revenue through, through the podcast and stuff. Right on. Okay. And so what's the best way to get in touch with you? Your website? Yes, ma'am. You just head over to travischapel.com. That usually houses most of the things that I'm doing. We, we need to redo that site after the software launch, uh, to be honest with you, because uh, there's a couple things that are changing. But uh, but you can still reach out to me over there at travischapel.com, or you can just email me directly, travis at travischapel.com, um, and, uh, and I'll, I'll make the intros to my team and get you the necessary people to get you onboarded and, uh, and work through the system. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure having you on. I learned a lot today. I'm sure that all of our listeners and viewers learned a lot as well. And thank you so much for um, being on my show. Yes, ma'am. Thanks so much, Tina. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. And we will see you next week. Have a great day, everybody.